Good morning. It is Thursday, January 21st, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined right now by Brian Peroni, Gigum 24-7 sports reporter, Texas A&M expert. Brian, I, I had someone reach out on our Apple Podcast review page, uh, Grant, Texas A&M class of 2022, gave me some compliments, and then requested a podcast on what Jimbo's doing with the Aggies and, and all this, so I figured... I should humor Grant and uh, bring you on. So, so thanks for joining us. No problem. It's uh, sort of an exciting time for for A and M fans with the top four finish and and good recruiting. So, I could see why he would want that. I'm th- I'm thinking about naming the headline for the podcast, titling it "Now Forming in College Station: College Football's Next Superpower." What do you think about that? The now forming in College Station. That's good. That's that's a real niche title. Superpower, that's something that A&M fans are hoping for. And I tell you what, this season went better than uh, I expected, better than many expected. I mean, I know at the end they wanted the playoffs, but if uh, if things keep, you know, on this uh, trajectory, it very well could be the case, you know, but it also could be uh, Georgia. And Georgia's a very good program, always in the top five or ten, but they haven't quite, you know, climbed uh, to the top of the mountain as, as they thought they might by this point. So the question is, you know, which path is A&M? Are, are they on the Clemson one or are they on the Georgia one? I find myself being optimistic here. And that's, that's despite this like hunch that I've always kind of had. And maybe this is my upbringing. I grew up in Austin. I went to Texas. You and I are kind of different in that regard. I've just always kind of thought Texas A&M would always sort of shoot itself in the foot when the big moment finally arrived. And I'm going to piss people off by saying that we're going to have a lot of Aggie listeners on this podcast <laughs> today. That's okay. Like I remember I, I've been to several games and you have the, um, the national title on the, uh, on the, on the outside wall of Kyle field. It's like, it, it's from the 1930s. And I just always remember their time so, before world war two and their time isn't going to come again because I've seen, you know, Johnny Manziel and, and Kevin someone and, and how that fizzled out and, and Texas A&M got so close in the nineties with the wrecking crew, but this feels different. This feels very real. And it's funny how it's built because week one or uh, week two, the close Vandy win and, and the Alabama loss people, including myself were wondering if, if Jimbo Fisher was ever going to get this thing done. And, and now it feels like the way he's recruiting and the way they're playing and the way they finish the season, I'm really, really bullish on Texas A&M. Yeah, I think uh, pretty much uh, all of your your thoughts, you know, maybe they wouldn't put it the same way or went through the heads of Aggie fans. You know, our message board after the second game, after the Alabama loss and after, what, a five-point win over Vanderbilt, you know, some there were threads. Is A&M going to win another game? And then by the end of the year, you know, it's they're mad that they're left out of the playoffs. So, you know, it's definitely sort of been a, a swing of emotions. But I will say that uh, Jimbo Fisher is, you know, he's proven that he can win a national championship. He's done it before. He's recruiting on a level that A&M hasn't seen. You know, Kevin Sumlin was able to recruit offense. He did really well there, landed five stars on offense, you know, did land Miles Garrett. But, um, you know, didn't really do that on defense. And Jimbo Fisher is going, you know, national and landing – landing kids. And then also in the state of Texas right now, you know, Texas is down. Baylor is down. 
Uh, Oklahoma isn't as big a factor in the state of Texas as they have been in the past. Really, Ohio State is the biggest competition for these uh, five-star recruits in the state. So it's sort of a perfect storm, Brian. And with Jimbo Fisher, his recruiting, you know, the fact that, you know, he's been able to coach and won that. And really now, I think it just comes down to quarterbacks. You know, he had an elite quarterback with, with Jameis Winston. Kellamond, you know, was sort of a game manager, did well, but, you know, wasn't that. So can Jimbo develop? Haynes King or whoever it turns out to be. And if that's the case, this could be a, a really scary team going forward. You cover recruiting that's your that's your bread and butter. The last few classes have, in, including 2021 and counting backwards, been ranked seventh, sixth, and fourth. I think we both agree that's good enough. Have As you've seen Jimbo get to College Station and put these classes together, Brian, and it go from maybe you always get a new coach boost, but it, it's gone from the new coach boost to it's been sustained and it's been really good. And you mentioned balanced. I mean, these Marvin Leal, Jalen Jones, th- these are really good classes. What sort of reception is Texas A&M getting with the elite recruits? And do you, do you sense that they're getting more of a look than they might have just a few years ago? Oh, for sure. Once again, you know, Jimbo Fisher has has a reputation. He's one of only, what, a handful of coaches that have won uh, a national championship that are active in college football. He's got uh, a staff that has ties all over the country. Elijah Robinson has gone into the Northeast and beaten Penn State and Michigan and Ohio State for kids, for defensive linemen, especially uh, up in New Jersey area and Philadelphia. And uh, really, the defensive line is what's impressed me the most. I mean, they've landed some big time studs, starting with DeMarvin Leal, but, you know, some McKinley Jackson beating Alabama and LSU uh, for a kid that's from Mississippi got a national top 50 kid you know nobody thought that would happen and you know if they're able to keep doing that um on the defensive line the sec is a defensive line league you know we've seen alabama put out you know and lsu seemingly every year put out uh multiple top draft picks on the line and a&m is getting to the point where their depth chart looks like that at what point in the kevin Sumlin era did you realize this probably wasn't going to work uh to be honest probably after uh after johnny menzel left you know it was lightning in a bottle it was a perfect combination of you know 2012 was his first year first year in the sec and then he had johnny menzel and they won and by the end of the year that year uh people might accuse me of being a homer but by the end of 2012 i think a&m might have been playing better than anybody in the country when they beat oklahoma in the cotton bowl i think they could have done well i don't remember i don't think there was a playoff yet so if they were you know if they were in the fbs title game i think they probably could have won it but after johnny menzel left it's just the quarterbacks play took a dive and there wasn't really you know coaching up there they weren't getting very you know any better and the defensive recruiting just wasn't there i mean the defense was atrocious under someone so i think it was you know that was sort of the beginning end is when they couldn't outscore people just every game and then you also had a, he would always seemingly lose a couple of games that that he shouldn't, you know, against the old misses of the Mississippi States, you know, games that were definitely winnable, you know, and that they were favored in, you know, and they would just lose a couple of those every year. And it just wasn't, you know, that just wasn't good enough. You had to be more consistent in the SEC for sure. As the Sumlin era kind of moves forward and it get you eight and five, eight and five, eight and five, seven and five before he gets fired. Did you look back at, at the Johnny Manziel era, Brian, and say that's probably as good as it's going to get in the SEC? I think, uh, you know, a lot of fans, if they were honest with themselves, probably thought so. I mean, yes, there was a, a ton of excitement around Jimbo Fisher, but the SEC is such a tough league. I mean, every especially being in the West, every year you're going to play Alabama. You know, Nick Saban has to leave at some point, but every year you will play them. At this point, A&M has only beaten them in that uh, in 2012, the first year in the league. Uh, when Sumlin left, A&M had never beaten LSU since they joined 
the conference. So, I mean, you just had that. You have Auburn on the schedule every year, and then you have, you know, the SEC East team. So I think, uh, you know, in, in my mind, that was sort of a thought. You know, I didn't want to go right off what a coach could do, but I honestly didn't expect Jimbo Fish to be able to come in and recruit nationally the way he has. There's a lot of talent in Texas, but there are also a ton of schools that are recruiting the state of Texas. And, you know, I don't think we've seen somebody dominate it since Mac Brown in the early 2000s, you know, just be able to land all the kids. So the fact that Jimbo's staff has been able to go and land kids nationally has been a huge, uh, a huge deal. And, the, you know, that's, that's, you know, changed my attitude just thinking, okay, A&M could potentially, you know, compete for a title, you know, relatively soon. The College Football Daily will be right back. How has Jimbo avoided the the tried and true and very tired storyline of upsetting Texas high school football coaches because he's recruiting national guys? A&M is winning. <laughs> if A&M wasn't winning, then you may have coaches complaining. But uh, Jimbo, you know, people just spend time with him. You, you you see him at practice. He's he's gruff at practice. He's he's yelling. He's he's angry all the time. And uh, you know, he'll get on the players. But he's actually known as a players coach. You know, players. They can go into his office and have talks and he will never throw any of them under the bus. Uh, and they, they really think he's genuine. And I think coaches feel the same way. So, you know, he talks to them and says, Hey, you know, we want our bread and butter to be the state of Texas, but we know that we also need some help. I mean, the state has not produced a ton of defensive tackles as of late. They just haven't, you know, linebackers as well. I don't think A&M has signed an in-state linebacker uh, in his tenure that I can think of. You know, so it's just, you know, they've had to go out of state for certain positions, but, you know, they're still going to, you know, and say the past two classes of QBs have been in state, uh, the wide receivers, you know, offensive linemen. I mean, they're they're taking guys from all over all over the state. So I think it's a healthy balance. The last few years, every preseason, when you look at the magazines, you get your Phil Steele, you've got your consensus number one in the SEC West, and then maybe you have a consensus number two, and then three through five are, are, are pretty similar. It feels now, Brian, when we look at this, we've got Bama at one, and then I, I, I'm not sure there's any argument that Texas A&M is just far and away, uh, the clearly the number two team, and, and the usual suspects behind them, I would maybe consider selling stock on, on an LSU or in Auburn, I think it'll take a few years for Brian Harson to get things going. I like what Lane Kiffin's doing at Ole Miss. I, I, I don't really love the direction Mississippi State seems to be under. I think Arkansas is getting a little bit better. But all that said, it feels like all of a sudden A&M has gone from SEC West, you know, middle of the pack contender hopeful to this is this is uh, this, this is where they are to stay. And 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 I think. I think you kind of hit it on the head. Like they're they're taking what they need. They're they're building this really balanced roster. You know, maybe they take a step back in twenty twenty one as they break in a new QB. But there's no reason why they shouldn't be you know a, a massive contender going forward. Do you think A and M fans are getting used to the idea or getting used to the status of being an SEC contender? Like, does this feel foreign at all? Is there any sort of oh man, we're just we're just glad to be out of the Big Twelve and and playing well in the SEC? And and I think expectations are now to okay, we're ready to start winning this thing. Uh, I and the fans have had that, that expectation all along. I mean, you know, especially. You know, with that first year under Johnny Menzel, first year in the SEC, I mean, they came in and just, you know, tore it up and they said, oh, maybe, maybe this is going to be easy. So um, I think they've sort of had that attitude. I'm, uh, especially in the AM market, I'm seen as probably uh, more of a realist and people, you know, think, you know, I may be even negative, but um, I think, I think it's realism. And yeah, I have, I haven't seen that. So it is odd to me 
having to get used to seeing those things. You know, the polls for next year that have A&M as a top 10 team, that have A&M ahead of Auburn and LSU. Those schools, the Auburns and the LSUs, have always gotten the uh, benefit of the doubt in the past and, and listed ahead of A&M, even when they all, you know, were seen as pretty even. Like this year, you know, A&M, I think, was picked fourth in the SEC West, you know, behind those schools because of the fact, hey, they've won national championships this millennium you know it hadn't been since 1939 so it is you know it is a little weird you know so and A&M fans now are complaining that you know the preseason polls a lot of them I think 24-7 had A&M tied for eight and said oh that's way too low you know and that if that would have been last year you know they would have you know been ecstatic over that so so yeah fans are, are getting used to it but they really have never let go of that attitude that you know they've been a sleeping giant and they're ready to turn the corner. I had A and M sixth in in our in my individual poll that factored into the big poll right outside of that of uh, the the top five which of uh, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, where all of those teams could have been a number one. And not to throw him under the bus, but I told Chris Hummer that if Kellen Mond was coming back, like if he had decided to do that, Brian, I would have made A and M number one. I mean, that, that's, you know, it's not far-fetched. If Kellen Mond would have come back, I think some of the offensive linemen would have come back, too. I mean, I think A&M probably had the most experienced offensive line in the country this year. They had three three third-year starters, two-year All-American uh, and so- two-year starter and sophomore All-American, Kenyon Green, and then center Ryan McCollum, who was a senior and had starting experience. So if those senior offensive linemen would have come back and Mond would have come back, I think I think so as well. So the offensive line, at most most everything else returns, you know, but the offensive line and Haynes King and or Zach Calzada or maybe even Eli Stowers as a quarterback is going to be what the uh, um, everybody's watching this spring. And if uh, if those there's some answers this spring, I think a and could work their way into that preseason talk again. You know, once the – when it becomes from way too early to just the regular preseason polls, you could see them go up or you could see them go down if there's – you know, if we don't see an answer at QB at spring. Like maybe if in the spring game, Haynes King lights it up, and I say lights it up in the spring game, uh, Demon Demas yeah. makes an appearance. Yeah, you know, maybe there's a good word on Baylor Cup, the the twice in a row in an injured tight end, but former five-star. I mean, I love these running backs. I love so much uh, about what Texas A&M is doing. I, I, my last question for you, though, is like you say you're the realist in the market. That came out. That came out funny. Like you, I, 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 S, T, Yeah. So you keep a realistic approach to everything. These fans are ready for a playoff. What do you, what do you tell them if, if it, if it's a two-loss year because there's a new quarterback and and it and it doesn't happen quite this year? Uh, what do you say? If it doesn't happen in 2021, you know, this this roster is still loaded, especially on defense. I point to that defensive line. And yeah, DeMarvin Leal will be gone, almost assuredly be gone after this coming year. But there's just so much talent returning. And then in the secondary, you have guys like Jalen Jones, you know, who started as a true freshman from the very first game. And the offensive line is building up. I mean, this is, you know, Jimbo, this was his third season. But, you know, his classes that he's – his full classes that he signed, you know, They've only been on campus for two years, so you're you're finally starting to see his roster being built, and there's a ton of talent. I'm looking at the scholarship distribution chart right now, and just the right side, which has the freshmen and sophomores, is just absolutely loaded, and the stars, you know, are loaded. So even if next year's down because of the offensive line, because of QB, that just gives them experience, and you know, 2022 could be could be an incredibly dangerous year. 
probably an exciting time to be Brian Peroni and get to cover the, these great recruiting classes and, and this really strong budding program. Follow Brian Peroni at Peroni247 on Twitter. Brian, we appreciate you joining us. Our producer is Lance Glenn. My name is Trey Scott. I hope all the Texas A&M fans out there love the episode. Grant, thank you for the recommendation. We'll talk to you all on Friday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.